This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! And now, it's time for Coach Hogg's Locker Room. Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here, Coach Hall right now in the Coach Hall locker room inside the Milton Law Studio. Milton Law with 50 years of experience is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Milton Law won't back down and we're protected 24-7 by crime prevention. So you can worry less with crime prevention if you just check them out today at cpss.net. Um, got a, a big, you know, agenda today, of course, and some things that are going on that I've been researching. But first of all, I want to go through some of the things with uh, the Coach Hall locker room, which is a kind of tradition here I've got on the show. Sometimes we really got a lot of interesting things. I've got one interesting story to talk about today in the locker room. Other stuff is maybe you already know about it. That is that, uh, by golly, the Florida baseball team is still alive and well, and there's therefore still bringing heads to beds here locally because they've got another game coming up. They defeated um, their opponent, Oklahoma, in a pretty interesting display of pitching for us and also hitting. So we'll see how that works out. There's one more game. And then there's maybe even a chance if they were to win that, they'd have more games here, which would mean more hits to beds for the local restaurant tours and hoteliers, uh, which is always the objective, you know, to get people to come here and spend money. Um, the softball team uh, has fizzled out finally, has reached its level of, uh, uh, you know, performance. And uh, it really became very obvious that, uh, generally speaking, this uh, University of Florida softball team, which was, a, uh, you know, I watched quite a bit, went personally to watch, enjoy watching, uh, just couldn't hit great pitching. Uh, they were hitless practically in their last couple of tries here against great pitchers. Uh, UCLA had a great pitcher, and uh, um, uh, it just, you know, if you can't hit the pitching, well, you can't uh, score, and therefore it doesn't take much to lose. And that's um, been generally the case with this uh, young group. Uh, they don't have that really great pitcher who can offset the other great pitchers they meet. So um, they ended up uh, getting mercy rule of all things by. UCLA yesterday, which is kind of humiliating. In other words, if uh, the other side gets enough runs and you don't get any runs, um, let's um, let's um, talk about uh, maybe calling the game off, stop the bleeding. So they've got a mercy rule in softball, and they employed it against uh, the University of Florida um, Gators yesterday. And, uh, of course, if you're a basketball fan – uh, you've got two things going on now, uh, uh, um, two heads bumping, and that's the Celtics and, of course, the Golden State Warriors. Um, the uh, big thing about those teams is the Celtics were actually built 
and recruited and bought and paid for and almost in a, uh, a study of how to match up with Golden State because everybody pretty much knew the basketball world. It would come down to them in the finals. So if you were going to beat them, you had to have a team that can counter them. And basically what I observed about these, uh, these two teams is whoever gets off a good start gets a good role and starts out draining the three-point shots is going to be the guy who grabs the momentum. And that's pretty much the way it's gone the first two games. But the big story really about the NBA has always been China. And uh, uh, China, according to Adam Silver, uh, the NBA has lost millions of dollars due to a China TV blackout following a tweet um, uh, that came out that was critical of China's behavior towards human rights. Now, the NBA commissioner is Adam Silver, and um, this is just recently, the last couple of days, he announced that the NBA had lost hundreds of millions of dollars in Chinese TV outlets um, because there was an imposed television blackout in China on all NBA game, games following a Daryl Morey tweet, tweet in support of the pro-democracy movement uh, in Hong Kong in 2019. Now, Maury was the general manager of the Houston Rockets. And in October of 2019, he wrote, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And the tweet was posted at a time when there were demonstrators in Hong Kong and they were protesting China, um, ripping on tight grip on free speech in this British colony, which has always been a, an irritant to China. And uh, as a result of those two sentences in that tweet, uh, Beijing immediately uh, uh, came back with a harsh reaction and uh, canceled all NBA programming on CCTV. So uh, the communist nation only recently rescinded the blackout restrictions in March uh, when they began showing NBA games again. Uh, but Silver told reporters that, uh, and Breitbart is covering this story and some others in the sporting world, um, uh, told, told reporters that the 18, it was an 18-month blackout and it cost the league hundreds of millions of dollars. Of course, the protest has always been that the LeBron James is who, now he's a billionaire, uh, makes his money off the shoes, uh, if you will, that are made in the sweat uh, factories of the cheap female labor, <clears throat> slave labor, if you want, in China for about five bucks. And then by the time they get out here to the streets of uh, wherever these uh, people are who wear them, they've paid or stolen that which is worth, at least on the retail market here, over $100. Uh, so there's quite a markup. And uh, this has always been a criticism of the NBA that they are really many, many ways financially supported by China, which is antithetical to the standards uh, that we claim to protect and vouch for here. Uh, the hypocrisy runs rampant through the streets, as you can imagine, of, of societies all over the world, and we're no exception. Um, so um, this, uh, this financial loss, the silver tried to turn into a positive. He said, we're willing to take this financial loss uh, in favor of free speech. Um, you know, it, it is a um, situation that's going on quite a bit uh, in terms of sports. They feel like they can get out of their lane 
and become political. And, you know, most sports in these big cities don't exist without enormous taxpayer subsidies to their um, facilities. And um, this is often done as an enhancement to bring a team. I don't really ever have ever thought there was any reason why Jacksonville could support a pro football team. I mean, it just doesn't ever make any sense. And I think the record shows it. But there's been all sorts of enticements and wheelings and dealings of the taxpayer money to bring them there. And they don't even fill the stadium. They don't have a winning record and they can't find one. So this is not uncommon. Uh, there's a great story about uh, uh, the Baltimore team that Irwin moved the team in the middle of the night because he couldn't get the right financial support uh, from Baltimore and trucked them up and took them to Indianapolis. Um, this has just been going on for, for quite some time now. So uh, it's, um, the, the, the whole idea of the relationship of the NBA and China uh, is a really rather interesting. Um, and even LeBron James himself has supposedly said that he's discovered there are negatives to having free speech, assuming it is his exercise of free speech that was the negative and that it cost the NBA, which is where his paycheck or his glory comes from, um, uh, some, some money. And therefore, yeah, they, they, they paid for that. So um, um, the league is, as to be sure, the league is more beholden uh, to China than any uh, other sport we've got in this country has ever been beholden to a foreign power in the history of sports or foreign powers. I don't think you'll hear that on the television much. I don't think you'll hear that from the announcers and the Shaquille's O'Neal's, but you will find out quite early that uh, the NBA uh, has an enormous financial commitment um, to China, a communist nation. And uh, this uh, illustrates it right vividly. And it's out publicly now for everyone to understand the Golden State Warriors co-owner says that nobody cares about China's enslavement of that, uh, of that population or the minority population. And, um, you know, that, 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 that is their job to make people care and all that. And you have to realize too, that the NBA is primarily a black league. And, you know, so you have an interesting dilemma here. Uh, the NBA feels like it has to speak out um, but it's actually making money off of that which is speaking out against, and that is cheap labor, and slave labor, if you will, by people who are making these items that the players then get endorsements for and make money off of. Um, so um, it, this is one of the things that is significant, uh, that is not talked about much, uh, brings about um, uh, some um, long-standing relationships that are really rather deeply uh, tied together. And um, you'll probably not hear a lot about it uh, elsewhere because it's not a story they want to particularly uh, trace throughout um, the marketing of that league. So I thought that was the, probably the most interesting story about uh, um, sports right now that Coach Hogg's locker room could bring to you. And that's the, after you understand that um, this National Basketball Association financially is tied to communist China uh, more than any other uh, sport we have is tied to a foreign country. So um, 
it has to do, I'm sure, with the, the marketing of the products made in China. And then, of course, the advertising that goes along with being seen on uh, the Chinese government televisions. We do have some players that are coming into the NBA out of China. We even have them on the tennis circuit. Uh, and we certainly have them, Asians at least, on the golf, lady golf tour. Uh, yesterday, I looked on uh, day before, I watched the lady PGA golf open. And uh, I think three or four of the ladies in the top 10 were Asian, playing incredibly well. And one by an Asian lady who uh, was an excellent golfer. Um, that seems to be a, 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 a category of sport that uh, enjoys a great deal of relationship with Asians and excellence in its sport. <clears throat> tennis is starting to be that way. We've got some tennis players uh, on the on the women's tour. <coughs> Excuse me, it's a bug going around that I just can't shake. It doesn't seem. But um, uh, there's there there's there's ladies on the tennis tour that are Asian that are very very uh, well trained. Uh, quite frequently, though, uh, they play for an Asian country, but they live in the United States. Um, Jap. Japan is one of those examples that has a couple of players that claim to be from and play for Japan, but live and train here. So uh, uh, there's not a there's not a lot that uh, uh, anyone can do about that. That's the way they want to get better. They either come here to the United States to train, or they frequently go to Spain to train. Those are the two big areas in the world where tennis players, male and female. Uh, young and up and coming and, and, and already arrived frequently trained. So um, that, that's kind of the, uh, the snapshot of what's going on in the sports world right now. Softball, we can hang up the, the cleats for the season. Uh, baseball, we got one more shot. Uh, basketball uh, has these two contenders bumping heads with uh, heavy financial investment from the uh, Chinese communist government. Uh, golf uh, ladies has been uh, just finished up with some excellent play by Asian ladies. And uh, tennis, of course, is won by a lady, 21 years old, from Poland, who learned to play the game from uh, Rafa Nadal. She uh, trained at his camp, and he taught her how to put this enormous power on her forehand. Um, Nadal has a ball that he hits that has so much spin on it that when it hits the um, court, it rebounds up. And if you don't catch it as it's coming up, then you got to hit it while it's going over your head. And that is extremely difficult for people to do well. They can't time it generally. It's, it's on them before they can deal with it. It's so accurate. It's so powerful. It's got so much rotation. In the tennis world, it's called topspin, of course. And this young lady from from uh, Poland has, has, has learned that top spin training with Nadal in his camp in his home country. So she is dominating right now the uh, lady sports of tennis. She uh, completely annihilated the Coco Golf, the 18-year-old phenom. who's a pretty good player in her own right, but uh, didn't have any way of staying on the court in the uh, French Open. <clears throat> so now... We'll be on to the grass court season. And in the grass court season, uh, we have a faster surface. Uh, ball skids. It doesn't bounce up as much as it does on the clay where it's gripped by the surface. And it requires different skills. Although uh, Nadal has excelled on all those, uh, uh, on all those surfaces, 
but the question is whether he will play any in the future, immediate future anyway, because he has a very serious foot injury. Um, these things happen. I mean, you get older and you start falling apart. That's the way it works. And uh, you become a host to anything that you maybe were not a host to before that would like to maybe um, enjoy uh, your corpus delectus here uh, um, as, a, as, a, as a nice place to have a meal. Speaking of the viruses and the bacteria and things that frequent our habitat. <clears throat> Locally, we've got a, a pretty interesting story going on. It's interesting anyway, if you know the background. And that is a place called Spring Hill. And I want to go over the history of Spring Hill with you a minute here. Uh, Spring Hill, uh, the Hofflers uh, were the only family, as I understand it, in the United States to own all four corners of an interstate. 39th Avenue and I-75, all four corners were part of the Hoffler Farm. Uh, I believe the Hoffler Farm originally was five, six, seven thousand acres, about the size of San Falasco uh, uh, State Preserve Forest right now on Nohawker Road, um, if you can get in a, a picture of that. Uh, I think the San Falasco uh, Forest is about five, six thousand acres. And the Hoffers had about the equivalent amount of land before the interstate came, of course, that now, once the interstate came, was divided into quadrants, and all four corners of it were theirs. Now, there was so little out there um, that uh, uh, they gave uh, 80, almost 90 acres to Santa Fe College uh, in the 70s to uh, uh, begin, well, actually it was in the yeah, early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, uh, to begin uh, Santa Fe College. So it was a big land donation, as I remember it, from the Hofflers to start Santa Fe College, community college then. And uh, it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful campus. I mean, when it was laid out, um, we went around and basically put the buildings around the natural um, um, features there. There's a sinkhole, there's trees. We left all that and we built the buildings around that. We didn't take anything down and we enjoyed putting the buildings in there and it's really one of the most beautiful campuses in the state of Florida. Um, along with that, we waited to see where people walked and then that's where we put the sidewalks. We didn't put the sidewalks down and have people follow that path. We kind of watched the way the Indians did with the animals and then, of course, the white settlers behind the Indians. We watched the path the uh, animals made, <clears throat> and then we walked in their path. If you watch uh, cattle, for example, there's only one path. They all walk in it, and they wear the ground down. And then as a human being, uh, you come along, you walk in the cattle path. So that's basically the way we did the sidewalks at Santa Fe. We, we watched the people and then put the sidewalks down. So the campus is very user-friendly. Um, a wonderful, delightful place. And it was given there by the Hofflers. Of course, the earliest business to come out there was uh, something called Miller Buick, which was on the uh, uh, west side of I-75 and the south side of, of uh, 39th. And it could be seen from the interstate. And it was way ahead of its time. Everybody said, what in the world is a car dealer going out there by himself? Why isn't he on car dealer road? You know, all car, all car dealers like to be on Cardinal Row. 
And we have a car dealer row here. It's called Main Street. And everybody's got a franchise is on that street. And you can go shopping uh, for automobiles up and down car dealer row. Well, Miller Buick went out there a little bit ahead of its time and struggled. And later it became Kraft Mercedes and that kind of struggle. And now it's out of the business of cars altogether. And a little bit more progress has come there and got more stuff. And uh, when I first got started in the, in the radio business, it was radio business then that I got started in. It was because of Spring Hill. <clears throat> Let me just give you the history of Spring Hill. Spring Hill is uh, land that uh, is owned by the Pennsylvania Land Trust, which is a real estate investment trust uh, that people buy shares in. And then, of course, the real estate investment trust gives a return on the share by developing property, which it owns. And um, this was the case with uh, Spring Hill. <clears throat> now, along about, I want to say, uh, oh, probably a 2000. Five, 2006, somewhere in there, um, there was a big move by Spring Hill to develop um, that whole inter that whole quadrant there, particularly on the north side uh, of um, 39th on the um, um, east side of the interstate. And all the plans, mice and men, they laid them down there and got them going and, and lo and behold, there was a huge resistance um, from all, all the no-growth people who said that, well, you put that in there and you're going to ruin Millhopper uh, Road, the scenic road through the forest. Now, the, the scenic road through the forest is to the north of where Pennsylvania Land Trust would have been and uh, development and all that would have been. <clears throat> so there was a big hue and cry and, and a big meeting all about this, and you're going to ruin the scenic road, and we don't want it here. And the, the um, meeting was so huge, so big, uh, that it had to take place in the Santa Fe uh, College Gymnasium. And that's how many people came out to, to discuss this situation. And it made the front um, uh, paper, the front page of the Gainesville Sun, huge picture there of the Gainesville Sun and the Santa Fe gym packed with people who wanted to come to the microphone in a public forum put up by the county commission to hear what the people thought about uh, putting Spring Hill development in. And now mind you, we're going back, oh, 15, 16 years uh, when uh, this first came up. So huge, huge thing. If you can imagine, if you could possibly get back into the archives of the Gainesville Sun, you'll see this issue was all over the front page of the Gainesville Sun. Uh, it was volatile. It was uh, emotional. It was uh, in some cases angry, um, in some cases rational. But it was all done and conducted, um, apparently, objectively, by the Alachua County Commission. Except that yours truly, First got his start, if you will, in looking behind the curtain at things to see what was really back there with Spring Hill. <clears throat> I was told uh, by a tipster um, that there had already been a meeting out of the public eye where the commission had already made up its mind that it was not going to approve Spring Hill. I said, what? 
Oh, yeah. All that business in the Santa Fe gym was uh, just a ruse. I mean, they had already made up their mind that they were going to vote it down. I said, you mean to tell me that that, that big meeting <clears throat> in the gym with all those people with the microphones and everybody getting to come to the microphone was for naught? It was just charades, public charades? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can, you can find that out. And so lo and behold, I began to do research. And sure enough, I found out that those meetings, uh, before the meetings, we became known as meetings before the meetings, um, which were the public didn't know about. But it's one of these gray areas in the law. Well, the public could have known about them. Oh, really? Well, the public didn't know about them, right? Yeah, the public didn't know about them. Well, does that make them legal? Well, yeah, I mean, come on. It's sort of the same argument you're getting now with um, supervisor elections and these jailbirds. Oh, the jailbirds should have known, you know, that we really, you know, what? So here we are. And I, I, I found out that all those meetings before the meetings, and Dave Wagner was the city attorney, uh, county attorney then, were recorded. And they were recorded by the clerk of the county court, which is Buddy Irby. They're not recorded by the Elantra County Commission. So that these guys really on the Elantra County Commission were not really even cognizant of the fact that they were being recorded. I mean, they, if they knew they didn't care and they didn't think anybody ever hear them. So, and I, I submit to you that I'm the first citizen to ever listen to them. <clears throat> so uh, I went back in and I started listening to them. And at one point I felt as if I were looking right down the barrel of evil. These people were conniving and strategizing on how to kill this project. These commissioners, whether Vane Lee, the headmaster of the boys orphanage, Byerly, who was a big leader of it, Cynthia Chestnut, Mama, the Mama, the Democrat Mama Bear. Okay, uh, I'm pretty sure Paul Delaney of the Gift That Keeps On Giving was on there, uh, and I'm going to have to go back and refresh who the other was. But <clears throat> there they sat, and they agreed that they weren't going to approve the. Oh, they didn't put it in paper. They didn't put it on paper now. And they didn't actually take an actual vote, but they wink winked that they were not going to approve this project. They had people like David Flagg come and testify. David Flagg worked for the Butler Corporation, my understanding. And it's understandable that Butler Corporation might not want, right, a, 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 a rival shopping center at the other end of the interstate. They've got one at Archer. Why would they want one up at uh, um, 39th, taking away business from Archer Road, Butler Plaza. So there was some concern about whether or not there was something going on there. At any rate, I sat and listened to all that. And it finally, it finally got down to, I'm not kidding you now, a Cynthia Chestnut and, and, and Byron these people discussing how were they going to keep the people entertained in the gym while they had this mock conversation about whether to approve or disapprove Spring Hill. 
It got down at one point to Cynthia Chestnut actually saying, I think I'm going to have to contact Santa Fe to see if they can provide popcorn. To see if they can provide popcorn, which she did. Furthermore, Byerly seized upon the idea that the way to keep this proposal from ever passing was to use concurrency. Now, largely because of Byerly's misuse of concurrency, we got concurrency uh, banned as a criterion for deciding whether or not someone should have a project approved. Concurrency was a word which would say, how many automobile trips do you have near the development? <clears throat> well, if it was a formula, and if you had too many automobile trips, you couldn't have the development. So Byerly realized in a moment of brilliance on his part, he really is the evil headmaster of the boys' orphanage, that if you don't build roads, if you don't expand roads, it follows that you can't have developments because you don't have the concurrency. It's a little syllogism, right? The major is no roads. Um, the minor is uh, roads can have to have a certain capacity. The conclusion is, therefore, the project isn't doable because the roads don't have capacity. So you, you limit deliberately the capacity of the roads by not building any roads. Now, the place that was being killed by this was Newberry. Newberry couldn't grow because of concurrency. And concurrency was the automobile trips through Newberry on its Route 26, I think it is. Well, guess where those trips were coming from? They were coming from Gilchrist County. So here you have people living in a county that's more affordable, but working in a county, Alachua, that pays more, but burning up the concurrency of the town they're going through, in this case, Newberry, so that Newberry can't grow. <clears throat> that's how concurrency was used. And that's how concurrency was used to kill Spring Hill. And so the people who came to the gymnasium, thinking they were actually going to be able to express their minds openly on this subject, found out that only through the Ward Scott in those days called fraud files, because I thought this was a fraud perpetrated on the public, only found out through the Ward Scott fraud files that that whole meeting in that gymnasium had been a ruse. That they never intended to pass Spring Hill, that they always intended to use concurrency, that they never intended to build roads, <coughs> and that that's what they're going to be stuck with. <clears throat> and indeed, if you go back to the archives and pull up the front pages of that Gainesville Sun, you will see all across the front page is a huge picture of a packed audience in the Santa Fe Gymnasium. So I looked at this article about Spring Hill and I, in, in development, money is time. So let's see, 2005 or six, uh, it's about 16 years. That's how long it's taken to come back and do whatever has been necessary and spend how much money has been 
necessary to spend. And people have always wondered, have asked me, how come there's nothing around Publix on 39th? How come there's nothing around Best Western uh, over there behind the motorcycle spot? Uh, uh, how come there's no uh, uh, nothing going on there? Well, there's nothing going on there because Barley and Chestnut and Pinkison, um, Delaney, I'm trying to remember who the other one was. Um, let me come to me in a minute. Uh, killed it. Killed it using concurrency, basically. Saying we just don't have the capacity for automobile trips there. Now, um, I'm not doing anything but telling you a story. I, you know, I, that's all I'm doing is telling you a story. I'm telling you a story that got me, really woke me up. Where I realized that in politics, what you see is not what you get. What you see is not how it happened. It happened behind a curtain that you can't look behind. And it's really compelled me to do what I've been doing all these years, is to keep looking behind those curtains. Because I'll assure you that's where the real cheese is being made, if you will. What you see out front is not what's really happening. That's been my experience anyway. And sometimes I'm wrong and sometimes I'm surprised and sometimes I'm not. But I can assure you that it's kept me interested. Because I, I, don't, I don't accept things at face value. I, I, you know, I catch politicians and things all the time that they are talking about and they know nothing about. I heard a politician, a very significant politician, say that in the county commission, you must live in your district. No, you don't. No, you don't. You reside in your district. That's a huge difference. A huge difference. Don't talk about it if you don't know what you're talking about. The county charter does not say you live in your district. It says you reside in your district and you reside in it five days, no later than five days after you're elected. And what does reside mean? It means you have an address there. Does it mean you live there? Does it mean you spend 24-7 there? No. <clears throat> no, it doesn't. So you really don't have districts. Well, you have them on paper. But that's just on paper. Everybody could, it's possible in the Illogical County Commission representation. It's possible for every single commissioner on the dais to reside in the same part of town. Do you understand that? It is possible, let me repeat it, legally possible for every single Alachua County Commissioner, all of them together to, to reside in the same 
They're straight. Let's take a break now on the Word Scott Files, and uh, you take think that, put your thinking cap on, and think about that. We'll be right back in just a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, on-the-spot dry cleaners, r r construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files, and remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help Help. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Now we are uh, entering a little bit left of the show. I had to explain that Spring Hill thing to you in the history of the Ward Scott Files, which were originally called the Ward Scott Fraud Files because the politicians were defrauding the public. I don't think too much of that has changed. Um, to that end, of course, we've got a governor now who has decided that uh, election integrity deserves its own budget. <clears throat> And I'm going to go over just a little bit of the budget breakdown for you. Uh, this is really a milestone in the state of Florida history of elections. And I happen to think that the Ward Scott files had an awful lot to do with it <clears throat> coming into existence. The uh, election integrity budget includes, as I have been given the numbers, $8 million for cybersecurity. <clears throat> now, that cybersecurity, of course, is an open kind of term. It involves, I suppose, machines and it involves uh, <clears throat> you know, anything that is fed into them or out of them. Uh, I suspect there's interesting ways to define cybersecurity. Uh, it, it, it involves 3.5 million for election crimes, which is to investigate and prosecute election crimes. And we have found here locally election crimes. It's very simple as that. And we have got uh, uh, our shoulder to that stone. <clears throat> and we hope that uh, that is uh, dealt with fairly. But there's always suspicion about these prosecutors that they are um, liberally leaning, even though we have a Republican here. Supposedly, we've got one that's not yet dry behind the ears. 
uh, faced no uh, opposition to become the state attorney. And uh, it's dubious whether or not uh, the influences that uh, are working around him, uh, he's aware of them. So we'll just see. We're aware of them. Um, and there's $2 million for election technology. And it's about a half a million dollars or a little bit better for voter roll accuracy. Voter roll accuracy is something we've discovered just doesn't exist. And it, it's, a, it's a puzzle to us why um, the election, supervised election, is so either un disinterested, uninterested, incompetent, um, um, distracted, whatever, to ever really question a voter roll integrity um, unless... You see, it's always reactive. It's never proactive with these um, supervisors, the local ones, a, a, a good example. If, if, if something comes to her attention, um, then maybe. But uh, she's not going to go looking. She's not going to go looking because the philosophy of voting uh, is that if you can make a, a, a fog on a mirror, you can vote. So we're not going to go looking as a supervisor officials or somebody who is uh, not really <clears throat> entitled to vote. In fact, in the case locally, we even go look for them. We'll even go sign them up and <clears throat> take our chances so that uh, that which we sign up, if it's never caught, why well, the vote counts. And even if it is caught, the vote still counts. You understand, do you not, that the uh, people in the jug here at uh, Lachua County who were signed up by T.J. Pichet, uh, the vote counts. Even though the vote was cast illegally, the vote counts. So it's uh, not something you can take back uh, once it's been cast. And uh, that's one of the problems with voter roll accuracy. It's simply a myth. It doesn't exist. And I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but it just doesn't exist. So uh, that, that, thank goodness for uh, DeSantis. Uh, uh, you know, this, the irony is uh, among these lefties uh, that by having, uh, uh, and, and this whole debate about uh, the single member district world, uh, the Charter Review Committee had a, a, a 20 years of opportunity to let the people decide on whether they wanted that. Um, and Charter Review 20 years ago could have put it on the ballot, and the Charter Review just recently, 10 years later, could have put it on the ballot, and uh, neither did it. So uh, all it was was an opportunity for the voters to decide. So really what's happened, and the, the, uh, those Charter Review committees were heavily made up by Democrats. And, and you know, much the same way we have this insurrection committee by Pelosi is made up by Democrats. <clears throat> so um, these charter review committees are really guilty of voter suppression. They didn't want the voters to have an opportunity to decide for themselves whether they wanted to change their government model. Uh, because if it changed, it would jeopardize those who let them make the decision. So it's pretty blatant that what they were doing was just hanging on the power and, and the rhetoric doesn't mean anything. All this rhetoric about, oh, every vote counts and everybody's entitled to vote, and that's all BS. Now, all you have to do is look at the voter suppression by 20 years of, of charter review committees. 
So, you know, there has been this frustration. And currently, of course, the, the um, Tallahassee world has decided to make it possible for the people to decide. You know, the Tallahassee world did that with GRU, too. Uh, but that failed. Uh, and the reason the, the Tallahassee world had to get involved with the GRU was because the people themselves who governed GRU and the local wouldn't do it. They wouldn't put it on there. It was too big of a cash cow. So then you have the problem of the people never understanding what they're voting for. And then you have the problem of the people who are doing the voting may not be really voting properly. So, you know, I'm reminded of something that Churchill said. Churchill said, democracy was the worst form of government, but was better than any of the alternatives. You know, the guy was right. Democracy is a horrible form of government. I mean, it can't get anything done. Uh, it's filled with filibusters and pontificators and <clears throat> self-aggrandizement and um, deliberate falsehoods. And, and But what's the alternative? What is the alternative? Well, that's Churchill. Actually, in a left-handed way, defending democracy. And it's my contention, if it were not for, and I'm not the only one, for the royal crown of England, we wouldn't have any standard in this world of excellence. Which wouldn't happen. And excellence is under attack right now because it's a Western value. And all the people who are busy attacking the West or test attacking that Western value of excellence. Oh, they don't want excellence. That means somebody ripped somebody off. Well, the election integrity budget is designed by uh, our friend uh, in government, if you are so inclined to see it that way, uh, establishing this uh, <clears throat> budget to try to do something about election integrity. And God knows it's very easy to demonstrate that there probably isn't any. So um, we have to be careful how we say it, of course, here on the Words God Files, because the little uh, children who run these algorithms and who run these uh, platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and that, the little children <coughs> have programmed their machines to uh, squash any kind of alternative point of view to uh, the uh, uh, acceptable narrative. You understand all that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about why I called today's show uh, The Progressive Attorney, because we have a fine example of this in a fellow named Chesa Bowden, um, C-H-E-S-A Bowden. <clears throat> there is a recall vote on this dude uh, out in San Francisco now, and uh, there's been a little bit written about him lately, and I want to bring up who, who the fella is so that you'll you'll have a little bit of a understanding about this guy. He is, uh, let me just give you some background on him. He is um, he's born in New York of Jewish parents, Kathy Bowden and David Gilbert. And who were they? They were Weather Underground members, okay? And uh, when Bowden was just 14 months old, this is out of Wikipedia, but it's common knowledge, 
Uh, both his parents were arrested and convicted of murder for their role as getaway car drivers in the Brinks robbery of 1981 in Rockland County, New York. And his mother was sentenced to 20 years to life and his father to 75 years to life for the felony murders of two police officers and a security guard. Now, <clears throat> the story gets worse from there because uh, when his parents went to the jug, uh, this guy was adopted by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, who are founders of the Weather Underground. Uh, the Weather Underground is a Marxist communist uh, uh, outfit that um, caused all sorts of um, crime. And uh, I'll just give you a little background on them because I may be dealing with some people who don't recall this. It was a radical left-wing militant organization uh, first activated in 1969 on the Ann Arbor campus of the University of Michigan. Um, it was a, a, a faction of the Students for Democratic Society. Uh, it was known officially as a weather underground organization. It began in 1970 and its express goal was to overthrow American um, imperialism. Now, here is, here is, an actual organization, which is has is, is done what the Trump outfit is accused of doing right now by Congress. <clears throat> this Weatherman organization was affiliated with Black Power, uh, and um, um, Black nationalism, uh, anti-Americanism far-left political activity, Black Liberation, Black Panther Party. This is who they were. And they targeted and bombed government buildings and banks. Okay? This was their modus operandi. And incredible. Ayers and Dorn are college Law liar professors at the University of Chicago, well retired now, and were buddies of Obama. Buddies of Obama. Do you get this? Do you understand how these dots are connected? Pronounce Bodine. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. You're really impressing me, my man. Yeah, Chessa Bodine. Thank you, sir. Let me just tell you what Andy Kessler has written uh, just yesterday, uh, maybe today, just today in the in the in the Wall Street Journal about this guy Boudin, uh, and uh, I thank uh, thank my good buddy Jack for giving me the right pronunciation. Um, and this guy Kessler, he he, he begins his uh, narrative here in the, in the journal that he was walking last week in Little Saigon a few blocks from City Hall, uh, and he walked across the street <coughs> to avoid an obvious group of drug dealers. The sidewalks were filthy, and they were filled with homeless and, and uh, smelled. And um, There was a man there sitting on the sidewalk with a hypodermic needle between his toes. And Meanwhile, two cops leaned against a police car nearby, and uh, pedestrians lawfully waited at a traffic light before crossing but ignored all of this. The cops ignored all this. Um, so 
evidently San Francisco has become had enough. And they're going to recall this guy. He's a district attorney, <coughs> Chesa Bodine. <coughs> and he is considered to be now finally a source of the city's rot. Um, this guy, of course, was raised, as we say, by heirs and Bernadine Dorn, um, friends of Obama. Uh, he became the uh, attorney there, uh, prosecuting attorney there in, in, in San Francisco. It doesn't surprise you. <clears throat> but now, uh, because of him, the Asian Americans even are fed up uh, because they have become the object of crimes that are not prosecuted, crimes against them that are not prosecuted. Um, there have been uh, uh, organized smash and grab looters hit the luxury stores in San Francisco. Um, there's been 11 Walgreens closed since 2019. Um, in one of the open CVSs, every item in the store is locked behind plexiglass. Um, in San Francisco in 2021, there were 640 drug overdoses, which were many more than the COVID deaths. Um, there were zero convictions for dealing fentanyl, uh, only three convictions of any kind for drug dealing. Um, and um, uh, the drug dealers were classified as accessories after the fact, uh, so you, uh, they wouldn't be deported. And um, so the whole area has become under this guy who was raised by the weatherman um, to be in any crime uh, prosecution <coughs> area. <clears throat> and uh, even the San Francisco employers have been forced to pay, quote, a homelessness gross receipts tax, uh, which has been used to uh, raise a combined $300 million annually for the homeless and the hungry, and has resulted in homelessness going up 9% in the last three years uh, because of all of a sudden, of course, it's being subsidized by people who actually work. And um, uh, this is the state of San Francisco. And um, this is the thing that's led to all this frustration about these liberal uh, prosecuting attorneys, of which this Bodine is a quintessential example. Um, uh, he is one of the progressive district attorneys uh, that is now facing a recall. And it's uh, maybe going to happen, maybe it won't. No, who knows in that area whether it will happen. Um, but these progressive prosecutors have um, uh, they, they don't send the nonviolent drug uh, offenders to jail and they don't send them a treatment. Um, they, they, um, it's just pretty clear that they end up right there on the street. You have to walk around. Um, they, they, um, furthermore, there have been uh, all this uh, anti-police and uh, business has been going on all across the country. Um, this Bodine was one of the first prosecutors to order his crime victims division, get this now, to aid people harmed by police and filed San Francisco's first homicide charges against an officer for an on-duty shooting. Uh, he also, Bodine, abolished cash bail. Um, and um, he thought that was uh, not fair to those who had money. <clears throat> we see this in this, but don't believe me, this is not unique to San Francisco. Uh, we, we showed this to you Friday in the in the uh, rap sheets of the uh, jail, the, the guys at the uh, supervisor elections office signed up in the Washington County Jail. These, these are not just your, your weekend offenders. 
that were signed up by T.J. Boucher uh, and now are being charged with perjury by the state attorney. Um, crazy, kind of crazy stuff, is it not? Um, um, it, it's it's uh, it's uh, what's kind of going on. City data shows that uh, Bodine's office is um, file criminal charges at a rate similar to his predecessors, um, but the conviction rate is way, way down. He doesn't go after, if you file, and we kind of suspect that's going to happen here in the, uh, um, uh, in the issue here with perjury voting here. Uh, we suspect that, I don't know, hopefully I'll be wrong, but we suspect that um, Kramer will file, he has filed the charges against the uh, hapless of people who voted. And then what he'll end up doing is um, dropping them. So it'll all be a political charade and uh, really much, pretty much all for naught. Uh, but it will be in perfectly in keeping with the attitude towards crime. Uh, and except this case we have has a little bit of a wrinkle in that the crime was created in the first place by the supervisor office. So it, I would call it perjury entrapment, but, you know, I'm not, it's just my opinion. Um, a lot of other things that are interesting is George Soros and his groups have spent $40 million in contributions to uh, these liberal prosecutors' uh, campaigns. So uh, that, that's always been, um, uh, you know, kind of a sticking point with the conservatives who want more effective um, legal, uh, if you will, uh, law and order as a, as a criteria. Well, um, I was going to get in today a little bit of uh, Putin's master plan, which I've been studying. I'll maybe get into that some tomorrow. It's pretty interesting. I've been doing a lot, quite a bit of research on uh, Vladimir Putin and what he's doing and how long we've known about it. And it's, it's very interesting. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll put that on YouTube for long. Uh, thanks all for your support and thanks for donating to the Ward Scott Files. We'll, hopefully I'll get eventually over this uh, Whatever it is, that has got me kind of gripped here in, uh, in uh, the world of viruses or who knows, you know. We'll be back tomorrow, hopefully, on the Ward Scott Files, Warthog Command Center out.